listen to the podcast and there's like an intro song yeah but i don't have the means to like i don't have headphones or anything so i it's not like you hear the song before you start recording so yeah. you just kind of start talking wait do you but you were uh fix that in post right yeah yeah, yeah. so what I song do you play so it's a remix of um the her soundtrack so have you seen that movie i love that movie yeah, so i love the, the soundtrack. song on the beach i took that and chopped it up dude and basically cool. made my own version of it I want to hear um, that. I pitch shifted it down like by I think like eighty cents. Uh huh. And um, dude, I love it. I'll, I'll show it to you when we're done up here. Did you mean is that the same tempo or a little bit faster? It's a different tempo for sure. Because the original song doesn't have a tempo. It's all like there's no metronome or anything when they recorded it. Really? So it's all just like free playing. It sounds that way too. Which is really cool. I wonder if Kill Bill is getting picked up on the mic. It's not a big deal if it is. But, um, what's up, my beautiful honeys? We're here at La Casa de Trogdon. Yes. I'm here with my good friend, Rex, who is a new guest on the show. Um, do you want to say, you want to, like, introduce yourself a little bit? Introduce you myself. Don't, you don't have to go into detail about yourself or anything, but just, just, like, who you are and who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I've known Oliver since childhood. Or, or a little while. I'm, um, um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any qualifications to be talking about movies. Well, that's the point of this, man. That's why it's, <laughs> that's why, that's why it's called No Degree. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I do love to discuss things. And I, I'd say, that's why I was game for this when you asked me, because I pretty much, like, I love, there's no art form that, that there's like a, a genre I don't enjoy. You could have come here and been like, we're going to watch this uh, strange 1950s French romance. And I'd be like, I mean, if it's good, I'll enjoy it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a librarian, which is not as boring as it sounds. And um, I, yeah, I'm really excited to do this because I, that's one of my favorite things is I feel like I don't understand or really enjoy something like whether it's a movie or a piece of music until I get to talk to people about it. So I'm excited to watch yeah. a film with you, but I'm also really excited <clears throat> to get to talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's sort of like the point of this is, uh, I mean, however many movies I've watched, it's sort of, you get a lot better perspective of them if you talk about them immediately after you see them. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, if you like, obviously I've, not talked about it more than I have, but mm-hmm. having a discussion with someone about a film is probably, as you same with you, one of my favorite things to do. Um, and I wouldn't worry about, and I'm not saying you were, but don't worry about like not being qualified or whatever, because <laughs> that's the point of this. Yeah, it's like uh, that's why it's called no degree. Like the description of the show is people talk about things they don't know, but they don't, <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. Yeah. So. Uh, I, yeah, it's 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 basically just uh, 
a discussion about opinion and a discussion about sort of reaction and reception to a work of art. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm excited about that too because I know whenever we've spoken about film in the past, you and I share, I mean, share at least one thing of you are totally okay with like speaking your opinion positively or negatively about something. Yeah. I find it all be like watching a movie with friends and say, I really didn't like that movie. And as I start describing why I didn't like it, I actually really piss people off because they're like, I like that movie, don't ruin it for me. Which, it's, it's odd to me because I, I, to me, if someone doesn't like a film that I like, that doesn't bother me at all. Like, I actually love being challenged on something because it, yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, it almost means I'm enjoying the film longer even after yeah. it's over. So, I mean, as much, we were just talking about it, like, as much as I hate the new Star Wars movies, Mm-hmm. Um, I'd much rather talk about talk to someone who loves them and like have the argument about why they're good or bad. Yes. Versus just kind of having someone be like, "Well, I liked it, so fuck you." Well, you got me there because I um, shun anyone who likes the new Star Wars movies outright. <laughs> so maybe I have certain lines that I won't cross. Yeah. But um, I'm not at the shunning stage yet. I probably will be soon. But... I think it's our it's our duty as Star Wars fans at this point is to shun yeah. the non-believers because it's their. No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not being serious. They're not that bad, but um, yeah, it's just it's nice when well, mostly because you know. If you dislike something that's generally enjoyed, you kind of are can you know people will often will say stuff like you know, you know they kind of like say you have other motivations in disliking it, like yeah. they, they won't they won't just believe that it's it's your actual opinion you did not like the film. Yeah, um, we were just talking about. I remember when the dark the Dark Knight Rises. I remember that film came out. I, I think it's the weakest of the trilogy. And I actually had people tell me to stop saying what I didn't like about it <laughs> who were just talking about the movie. And I just was pointing out that I didn't like it as much as they did. But, um, yeah. I know you and I disagree about plenty in film, but you uh, you don't, like, start crying about it. Well, I, yeah. But if I, I mean, disagree that's with like you. The, <laughs> that's like the... If, if, if people just unanimously loved and hated something, that's not what... It's not art. Yeah. That's like science at that point mm. what's something that you that's an interesting question what's something that you have really hated that most people liked um i have an answer but i need to think about what it is i just can't remember what it is right well now. what are the other way what's something that you've really enjoyed that most people said so, was really terrible i know i have an answer for that okay the film that came out last year called mother Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. But I as I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I have not met a single person that says <laughs> they like it. Well, I haven't seen it because I ruined it for myself. I actually read... I was reading a review that I didn't realize was spoiler-rich. And I know exactly what happens in the movie now. And now everyone's talking you, about you it. You don't. <laughs> oh, I don't? You, you have to see it. I have to see it? You okay. have to see it. All right, that's interesting. That's one of the reasons why I like that so much. But uh, I don't want to go on a tangent about mother but it's just, you have to see it okay um it's one of those movies where you, you it can't get spoiled for you really it's like okay you can you could read down to every single little plot detail uh-huh if you would even call it a plot <laughs> <laughs> but it you can't that movie i mean I, I like aronofsky films a lot yeah which uh, is weird because he got a lot of backlash for this movie oh yeah people hated it yeah but i think it's an i I probably like it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? It's just so out of the box and over the top. Uh-huh. That's why I like it so much. Like, I spent the entire movie 
like second half of the movie with my hands on my head, my mouth open. Really? Did you see in theaters? Yes. Wow. And people I saw with, they were threatening to like walk out. <laughs> um, so that movie's crazy. Um, to the opposite, something that I hate that everyone else seems to love. Um, I really don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I have an example from this year of something that I don't hate, but I strongly think is a weak movie that I don't think a lot of fans of this uh, franchise question. I don't know how you feel about it. I thought that um, Infinity War 1 that came out in May is an incredibly weak movie. Really? It's an incredibly weak movie. It is terribly directed. Well, that justifies your opinion then, because I love that movie. Really? So there you go. See, I, I just, like, I mean, this, the con- that's the weird thing about it, is the writing, like, the content of what goes on is so riveting and interesting. Try not to, like, oh, sorry. Table, it'll pick up everything. I'm going to, actually, I was planning on banging on the table for the rest of this conversation. Just, like, throwing the table. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's how I talk. I, because, but, like, so to me, it isn't even the content of the movie is excellent. Like, it's so fun to see all these characters interact. Yeah. The dialogue especially compared to the first two Avengers movies, because Joss Whedon did such a good job with the dialogue in those. The dialogue is really stilted. It's all, they tell you what the narrative is. They're not having real dialogue. And I'm a, I feel like I could go on a long rant of how I think that movie is so poorly directed. Hmm. So yeah, maybe I like what's, what is happening, but how it's delivered again yeah. and again, I thought was, inc- was surprisingly weak. I would say, I, I can't, I haven't seen all the Marvel films since, you know, the, the new franchise of starting with uh, Iron Man in, in uh, 2008. We'll have to have a separate discussion about this because I'd like to talk to you about Infinity War. Okay. Like, so, and it's funny, because I like the characters so much, I did enjoy the process. I was just surprised. It, to me, it was it was like obvious how poor of a movie it was. Hmm. But it was the direction of the film. Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll have to talk about okay, that. We can do like a mini episode or something. Yeah. Right? Like after we record Hateful Eight. Which yeah. is what we're watching, by the way. Yes. We're watching Hateful Eight tonight, directed I'm by Quentin Tarantino. A um, little bit different than how we've usually done it, because we've both seen this movie already. Um, usually there's at least one person in the group that hasn't seen the movie we're about to watch, but we've both seen um, the Hateful Eight already. But uh, the thing is, I there's so much to digest in this movie yeah. that watching it again, I think, is going to be just as fruitful as um, watching it blind. Oh, totally. Um, Quentin Tarantino is a man that... It's interesting that you're just talking about dialogue. I think Quentin Tarantino is easily one of the top dogs when it comes to writing dialogue. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I love. It's interesting because I I really enjoy dialogue. Usually, I really enjoy dialogue that functions well in the story and yet has the, like, fake appearance of naturalism. Yeah. So it's because you real... I mean, dialogue is never real conversation. But yeah. I usually like movies that can kind of fool me into liking the dialogue because I feel like these are real people. Tarantino doesn't care about that at all. His yeah. dialogue is so obviously... It, it, no one speaks like that. He's not even trying to make you believe these characters are real yeah. in that sense. But he's an exception. I, I love listening to his characters. I speak. think the one movie that I would say that the dialogue does feel really natural and real on is Inglorious Bastards. I think, especially Christoph Waltz's delivery of a bunch of his lines, mm. I think a lot of that feels really grounded and not like, English motherfucker, do you speak? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, I see what you mean, but still, I would give... What he lot. says is definitely 
But yeah, it's the it, to me that's, that's the performance. Yeah, is, I, I agree with you that Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, his newer movies I think are more mature. Obviously, he's matured and he's not as over the top and unrealistic. And which I think his unrealistic dialogue is really interesting. I think Christoph Waltz just gets a lot of credit for yeah. somehow taking wild dialogue and making it feel like a real crazy person yeah, speaking. Yeah, it's, it's more Christoph than it is Tarantino. But I think, but that's actually. Yeah, but I'm excited about this film. You know, one thing I think about with uh, The Hateful Eight is the, his previous two films kind of, I don't know, I enjoyed them some, but they rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, as good as they are, I, I almost, even the subject matter that he's writing about, I feel like he stopped being Tarantino, the guy who loves making a movie's buff movie and he started making movies that would appeal to a Hollywood voting block to hopefully win an Oscar yeah you know what I mean like the the content of it, it's you know ever seen the TV show extras with Ricky Gervais no it's pretty hilarious and uh, in one episode see, he always has cameos by uh, real actors and he always plays an actor who's an extra in London and in one he's talking to Kate Winslet who's doing uh, a movie about the Holocaust and she's a nun saving Jews and um, in in the episode, he's like, "It's so brave of you to do this role." She goes, "Oh, I'm I'm just doing this for the Oscar," which is ironic because then, like two years later, she won a movie about or won an Oscar for a movie about the Holocaust. I like, I just feel like these they're always I don't know all these films these two past two films seem to be pandering to a wider audience, and I just don't find them as interesting and as. They don't seem to be taking as big of chances as like Kill Bill or Death Proof well, that's, or Jackie Brown. If you ask me, that's inevitable. If yeah. You, if you're a successful, if you're as successful as Quentin Tarantino, eventually you're going to get someone who wants to put their hand into your. Mm. Of course. Uh, and um, I definitely agree with you. They're definitely way more cinematic in a sense that um, he wants to appeal to a wider audience, but. The reason why I don't completely disregard them, mm-hmm. as I would, um, let me try to think of an example, like, uh, I guess Star Wars is another good example. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I don't completely disregard them is because you can tell that Quentin Tarantino is still putting his, um, it's still his piece of work. Yeah. He still has his touch on it. You, you can, um, like, you can tell with the Marvel movies that um, each individual director they had you can you can look at them and you can tell oh uh, Thor Ragnarok was Taika Waititi or mm-hmm. Black yeah. Panther was Ryan Coogler but at the heart of it it's basically directed by Marvel yeah hundred percent with Quentin Tarantino you can still for sure tell in Django and Inglorious Bastards that they are created by Quentin Tarantino hundred percent I and however yeah. many people are dabbling in that is unknown to me but it's just some it's just what happens nowadays people. Movies are slowly going towards being directed by studios as opposed to individuals. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, if you ask me, that's kind of sad. Like it, I, it it's, is. It's ruining the art, and it's ruining movies for everyone. Which is funny because you know if you can, so if we we can pair the movies like uh, the besides the Hateful Eight, if we can pair Glorious Bastards and Django to other Hollywood films of the same era. Obviously, you're right. Still. Those movies are heads and tails above most Hollywood action films. I mean, I yeah. can think of one or two, in quotes, action movies that are as good as those Tarantino films. I guess 
there's this part of me that I like Tarantino at his best. He's such a I mean, he's such an artist. He he has such a specific opinion. It just it, to me it's just more fun to rewatch his movies that look like he is completely loose and not tying himself down at all. Yeah. Not that those movies are even better necessarily. I don't I don't think that his weirder movies weirder doesn't and, and less accessible doesn't make them better. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of more fun because I've seen all his films. It's more fun for me to watch how I mean, I think I think Kill Bill is many parts of it are very inaccessible. It's so f- it's fun to just to watch someone who's so talented just do whatever the hell he wants to do. Yeah, for sure. So that's why when I saw the Hateful Eight the first time, I think I was expecting like a Django Part Two. Yeah, because that's to do with slavery and post Civil War. It, it it doesn't try to have a social justice message in it at all. Yeah, it, I think it's a really tough movie to watch based on whatever you think is right and wrong. It is just a tough movie to watch. But at the same time, I almost feel like Tarantino's having fun doing something really off the beaten path. So I remember watching it just going like, I feel like I'm watching a movie from the early aughts from Tarantino. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I really enjoy how, you like Django is, if you ask me, Quentin Tarantino's most crazy, insane movie. Mm-hmm. There's so much that just happens, like everything gets blown up, a bunch of people get shot, and yeah. attacked and stuff. And then you go to the Hateful Eight, which while it is pretty violent, it all happens in one spot, mm-hmm. except for the very beginning. Yeah. Um, which I think is, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it's a very nice change of pace from what you're expected to see out of a oh, Tarantino yeah. movie. Absolutely. And we were just talking about dialogue earlier, and I think that's what he was trying to go for here, was how can I make this the most interesting possible? most interesting movie possible without having that craziness that I got from Django that I gave yeah. from Django. And he, and that's the, I think the fun thing about it is uh, speaking of the one, almost one set you have here, I think this movie, it reminds me, it kind of pushes, it doesn't feel as much like an action film. Sometimes it almost feels more like uh, a mystery film or a I wouldn't, film. I wouldn't call it an action film at all. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause you think Tarantino, I would say almost every film, but maybe Jackie Brown and this. You could you could qualify almost anything else. I guess not Pulp Fiction. All the other ones as action films. You know, this one, almost, it feels more like a, a whodunit movie. This feels like a detective no, yeah. caper. Definitely. And it, it it's it's fun to see his kinetic energy in a, a, a different genre like this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it this time and decide I don't like it. But I remember being almost confused when I watched it the first time. I was like, what yeah. the hell did I just see? That was awesome. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to dive back in. Me, me and a bunch of my friends, we claim that this is the most quotable, one of the most quotable movies of all time. Yeah. Definitely the most quotable Quentin Tarantino movie. Like I find myself all the time going, oh, God damn it, I'm already regretting this. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. Um, I say that all the time. And uh, I, every time I say it, I'm like, man, that is a very quotable movie. And you can definitely, just from that alone, tell that the writing on this one, he definitely put a lot of time into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, very, I would, I would think it would be very, very difficult. Because especially in this day and age, everyone just wants to see stuff happening on screen. Oh, yeah. And to be someone like Quentin Tarantino, who, 
I'm getting tired of the word Tarantino. <laughs> but um, to be someone like him who's so successful and so good at what he does, yeah. to still be able to make it interesting in this current film climate, yeah, I think is a very large testament to his skill as a director. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's see. Um, we should probably get into it. Let's watch it. I think man. we should. I think we should sit down and press play, man. All right. Um, we're gonna meet up with everyone listening in a few seconds after this break um, with our reaction to the hateful eight. So I hope to see everyone there. Do you like it better this time? I do. I think I do too. Um, I think it's, I think expecting the whole twist of the gang at the end mm-hmm. really uh, made me focus on sort of the uh, impacts of the speech a lot more. Oh yeah. Not the speech, like there was a speech, but like what people were saying. Mm-hmm. By the way, spoilers as usual if you haven't seen it, but um. Yeah, I really paid a lot more attention to what people were saying to each other. Yeah. And I think that lends Mm. to just the, uh, as we were talking about before, the prowess that Quentin has as just like a good writer. Hmm. Totally. You know, I think one thing that felt different for me this time, I was just so thrown the first time I watched it, Mm -hmm. and it's it's at, at the bleakness of the ending. Mm-hmm. Well, I walked away from the movie, just the where the plot happens at the end that, you know, literally the, the song <laughs> playing over the credits says there won't be many coming home because they're all dead. Like yeah. literally <laughs> no character you have seen, even in flashbacks, is alive. No one is alive by the end. Yeah. Um. Or, I'm sorry, the two, last two characters are alive, but they are... They're going to die. They're quickly bleeding out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, I think that that hit me so hard at the end the last time. It was almost hard to piece the movie back together. I just enjoyed knowing the twist, knowing the ending, and watching how it's developing mm-hmm. this time. Yeah. I, I'm... Yeah, I'm surprised. I think this is easily becoming one of my favorite Tarantino films. It's definitely one of the most well done. That's for sure. It's fantastic. You know, I was thinking... Early on as well, my one of my favorite movies of all time is Kubrick's The Shining. Oh, okay. There's just a few moments in this movie, and also just like, kind of big picture, I, I wonder, I know that Tarantino likes The Shining a lot. He thinks it's one of Kubrick's best movies. It's I, I It might be my favorite Kubrick of all time, which is saying something, because he's my favorite director. Um, just the idea of like that movie, The Shining, I mean, I've seen The Shining way too many times, so it, uh, it's like, you know, that one is set in Northern Colorado during a blizzard. This is set in Wyoming. So it's like, they're both set in the Rockies during a blizzard. Mm-hmm. There's even a couple shots outdoors where all the, the buildings are backlit by like, like a white blue light. 
the lighting is very similar to the outdoor lighting for the blizzard scenes in The Shining. Mm. And even, like, The Shining has a lot of themes about, like, American culture and all of the evils of it. And that's kind of like the, the ghosts in the in the hotel are like, and this movie is very similar about this. So I, I, I feel like there's a... I, I maybe it wasn't very intentional, but I that was one thought I had was oh yeah I'm getting a little bit of which you know it's like when you have a movie as iconic as The Shining, you, I mean yeah it, it gets referenced so often, um, but I think just in a, in a broad sense, um, I I enjoyed the humor a lot in the movie. This I laughed at the movie several places this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite, I think my favorite line in the movie is, uh, you better shit a second pistol out your ass. <laughs> because, because if you don't show one up here, we're going to shoot your, st- or whatever he says. And then just the perfectly timed pause and the pistol just kind of flies out of the basement hatch door. Yeah. And it's so, so great. Um, that's another thing, uh, that scene lends to, another thing I really like about this movie is, uh, there's no, um. I guess the best example I can think of is the monologue in the sense that there's no sort of hesitation with a character's goal. Mm-hmm. Um, if a lesser experienced director would have had this story, that whole end scene, he would have, Channing Tatum's character, um, Jody Demigre, he would have come up out of the thing mm-hmm. and there would have been 10 to 15 more minutes of exposition before yeah. anything happened. But he comes up, sees his sister, and then boom, he's dead. Yeah. Which is something that first time I watched it really threw me off. I was like, "Wow, I that's just not done very often." Especially because you know Channing Tatum, I mean, would be probably the biggest draw of any actor in this movie when it was made, like for box office success. I don't think anyone in here is as was as you know. That I, was, I didn't even know he was in it until I saw it. That that's it, it seems very purposeful. They did not advertise it as a hey, come see Channing Tatum in the movie. Yeah. Which is intelligent because people would have been pissed off if yeah. <laughs> they finally seen him and then gets the back of his head blown up, you know, as soon as he's in the present part of the film. Mm-hmm. Which again, that's so Tarantino, you know, it's like, here's a sentimental moment between brother and sister, and now the sister has to watch her brother die violently right in front of her and get her, his brains all blown up on top of her. Yeah. Um, which is some, saying something when you go into a Tarantino movie and you're still surprised by the violence. <laughs> yeah, he can still get you. He can still make you be just thrown off by the timing of things. For sure. Yeah, it's as I was saying, it's one of the things that when I first saw this, I just didn't even expect to happen. I expected it to literally in my head. I was like, oh, okay, so what's he going to talk about? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he just dies. I'm like, whoa. That was, yeah, that was crazy. And that happens multiple times throughout the movie. Um, I think one, another one of my favorite parts is the uh, the whole um, in the first scene where he's meeting up with John Ruth. Um, it's like it really establishes the sense of nobody trusts anything. Yeah. In this movie, it really sets that up pretty well. Oh yeah. Because one of the things that I mentally noted when we were watching it, um, the part where uh, they're throwing up from the poison coffee, mm-hmm. I. Uh, I thought to myself, I'm like, why is no one freaking out and trying to help them? And I was like, oh, wait, it's because no one trusts anyone and they want everyone else to die anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wow, that's actually, I, I, the fact that I was able to figure that out. Yeah. Is 
something that I really enjoyed, I guess. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... It is. It, it throws you off, but once you get the idea of the world of this movie, it's established well enough and potently enough that you can actually put your head in the position of these characters. I, th- I thought about it in the direction. There's a lot of moments I was watching this time in the movie where there'd be like a wide shot of some characters like bringing some horses in, or a wide shot, or a medium shot inside the. Uh, stagecoach of the characters just like driving along not talking there was a lot of like paused moments where you have to just sit calmly yeah. and with the characters i think that's kind of i think one of the ideas behind that is sort of the feeling of man can't we just get this over with mm-hmm. yeah totally and yeah. it's things like that but that allow you to really feel present with the characters because they're all you know stuck in these moments you know it's you know Putting up the horses is a pretty miserably long process, so you have to kind of watch this long, meticulous shot mm-hmm. of them doing stuff. You have to; it does feel like a drag, and then the sense of dread builds in, in because of that. But I think all of those good choices build into what you're talking about. If you can kind of get into the etern- internal logic of the characters' actions. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that was a long one. Um, because they. Yeah, he, Tarantino lets you understand their world. Yeah, and that's one thing Tarantino is really good at, is just believable. Um, you can understand the character's motivations. Mm-hmm, totally. In pretty much all of his movies. One thing I think it's interesting about this movie, I, I, I like reading, in general, what people have to say about Tarantino, especially journalists. He's, you know, he's not beloved by everybody. Not at all. He also doesn't belove everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he literally, one of his first red carpets got mad. He saw a journalist he hated and spit at him on the red carpet. <laughs> Have you seen the interview with him where someone asked him a question about why he uses such a, why he used some sort of device in one of his movies? And he's just like, you know, I could answer that, but I really don't want to. So how about we just move on? Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah I've seen that. The guy just like kept on asking about it. He's like, no, I'm not answering this. Let's move on. Yeah. And then he, as soon as they moved on, he was just normal again. Yeah. <laughs> he He's like, well, it, it, I think he's developed that to maybe part, well, it's partially just his, partially just his personality. But also, his opinions get so many people like who are more left of center very angry. Like, he's very open about, he is very pro-gun. He's very pro-self-defense. I've read this quotation. Someone was, I remember reading this article right when Inglorious Bastards came out. And the title of the article was, Inglorious Bastards encourages Jewish people to kill like Nazis, and that's not okay. And the whole movie was about how Inglorious Bastards is an evil movie and we shouldn't be seeing it in cinemas. It's basically saying, like, his idea of when you're under attack, you should stand up and fight back. And they were dismantling that with like a pacifist's argument. And I'm, I don't want to necessarily discuss whether I agree with that or not. But I find reading those things about him, I think sometimes as his career has gone along, I can see that personal philosophy he has of like, he really is okay with like an idea of vigilante justice. Like the, um, what's his name? Oswaldo has that little bit about what's the difference between yeah. frontier justice and civilized justice. That's something very present in his ideas. I, I, I see it like, in, um, you know, Kill Bill, the whole theme is 
like she is on a path of revenge. Mm-hmm. I think Death Proof is one of the best examples. You have those chicks that are all being attacked by Kurt Russell's character. They all like the one who ha- has argued in that. Have you seen that movie? Mm-mm. There's one who argues to. Uh, she's like, no, I should be carrying a gun in case a guy tries to attack me, and she's the one who can like like fights back and shoots at him with the gun. Then you have you know Inglorious Bastards. You have characters instead of hiding and running from the Nazis, the Jewish. Americans go back and fight. You have Django. You have a, a bounty hunter. I, I, it's totally in this movie too. His idea of like, we have to take justice into our own hands. Yeah, it's not like he's even making that argument. It's just so obvious. Like that's his point of view. That like, you like Samuel Jackson as a character, and you like, it just seems like the movie's trying to make an argument. He blows off Bob's head. And you're like, that seems okay because Bob is a liar and killed many, you yeah. know. It's interesting you say that. You bring up that whole sort of stance on issues problem or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were just talking about how there's people that we say a movie we don't like and they just completely disregard it. Uh-huh. And then there's people that try to make... It just bothers me how people can't just understand that no one, that everyone doesn't have the same opinion. Yes, and no matter how strongly we feel on something, like I, I don't agree with his program philosophy mm-hmm. personally, but I can understand that he's a different person than me. Yes. And um, that if he wants to believe that, he probably has reason to believe that. It's not like he's just doing it to be evil. Yeah. You know I mean, um, which is what I feel like a lot of people immediately think when they hear stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this person disagrees with me. They must be outright evil. Is yeah. is this really? Is a very illogical, uh, very I'm, silly yeah, conclusion. I'm sure I've been to. guilty of that at one point in my life. Oh, well, sure. But but um, just the fact that we can't just like obviously I believe one side is right and one side is wrong, but mm-hmm. we can't. The fact that most people can't just talk about that and mm-hmm. just have a civilized discussion about it is, I just don't get it. I wish that was just more prevalent. And which one of my, I'd say one reason why I don't, I wouldn't say Tarantino is one of my favorite directors. I think what I like just as much of his movies though, is that he sparks really important conversation. Like Mm -hmm. what we're talking about right now Yeah, is I think he reveals how easy it is for people to be biased against something that isn't quite their idea. And how, you know, instead of approaching an idea that we don't agree with rationally, we approach it irrationally and say, that person's an idiot, they're evil. You know, he, he's... I kind of like people that push people's buttons and make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with everything Tarantino believes at all. Yeah. But I, I almost like people who, you know... He's not out literally murdering people. <laughs> he's no, not yeah, actually doing evil things, but he makes people um, elevate their discussion because he's so compelling. He makes me elevate my discussion on these issues. Um, you know, one thing I think is interesting is people always bring up in his movies how... how um, I've read before, people always get mad about how all the violence that women experience in movies. In his movies, they're like... Basically, like, to accuse him of being, like, a, a sadist, that he likes to watch women die in movies. Yeah. Which I think... I always think that's that's ridiculous. I think what he's pointing out is that women are just as human and vulnerable and powerful. I would say all his movies, it's never bothered me how women are treated violently. Like to me, it's like usually those same female characters are also powerful and fighting back against men. And then yeah. this movie happened. <laughs> the yeah. 
the only central female character gets the shit kicked out of her the whole fucking time. Yeah. So it was like, it's almost like he made this movie just, I have this thought just now. I was like, did he make this movie just to piss off the people that tell him he's bad because he lets women experience violence in his movies? Yeah. He's like, oh, you don't like women experiencing violence? Let this one woman never fight back. She's going to get her teeth knocked out. And she's going to have her brother's brains all over his face. All over her face. Yeah. <laughs> He he definitely doesn't care what people think. No, yeah, for sure. It's like he took the arguments that people make against him and he just cranked it up to 11. He didn't try to, like, prove them wrong. He's just like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, like, you... That's definitely always been the case with him. I mean, you look at films like uh, like Pulp Fiction and he says... He drops the N-word multiple times in that movie. Like, yeah. as a character. Yeah. If you were to have done that... When was that movie come out? Mm, 94. 94. If you were to do that in a movie released today as a white man, it wouldn't fly. Yeah, not at all. But I can still see him like doing yeah, it. Yeah, he anyway. would still do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and obviously, I don't necessarily agree with that. Obviously, if it was in the right context, maybe. But um, I don't necessarily agree with him doing that in today's day and age. But yeah, I feel like if he found reason to, he yeah. Would. This movie, it's a little easier because you have to to be historically accurate. Yeah. But I think you're right. If it was a movie set today, I think he would find a way to make a white character like just use the N-word constantly because yeah. he, he wants to push those boundaries. Um, so, you know, I realized watching it, I thought this the first time I watched it, is that the main part of the film when the people are trapped inside... There's nine people inside, not eight. And there's technically ten people in the haberdashery because then there's Channing Tatum in the basement. Okay, so there's uh, Marquise. Mar- is, Mar- is it pronounced Marquise? Marquess? Wait, wait, wait. Which one is he? Warren. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- yeah, Marquise. So there was Samuel Jackson's character. Uh-huh. The Hangman, Daisy Domergue, uh-huh. Joe Gage, Oswaldo... Uh, Bob, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the old man, and who else? Ob, Ob was their driver. And I'm missing somebody. No, there was a ninth. I just I counted while I was in there. So wait, let me count them another way. So you have Daisy, and then the three dudes that are disguised in yep. there, which are Joe Gage, Oswaldo, Oswaldo and Bob. Bob. You have the general. Yep. And then you got the hangman. Marquise, Ob, Channing Tatum's character. Channing Tatum's character is the ninth. Jody, dude, I thought there was one more. I don't think so, but it make to me it makes sense that there's nine uh-huh. because Ob to me is impartial. Yeah, he was just a guy that was hired to do a job and is there. Like they said in the movie, like whoever's whoever had the bad luck to show up here today, uh-huh. and I think that's a direct reference to Ob. Yeah. Um, oh, dude, you know what we're forgetting? Huh. We're forgetting the Confederate dude. The young Confederate dude who's alive at the end. The young Confederate dude? Yeah, the guy who was one of the Marauders. We even counted him. Wait, what? Who are you talking about? The, the guy who, the second guy they pick up on the stagecoach. Oh, Chris Maddox. Yeah, Chris Maddox, that's his name. So yeah, there's nine. Even I, thought we, f- I thought we included him in the original No, wait, we didn't. <laughs> um, so there's the nine of them plus Channing Tatum. Yeah. So I was reading online about this. And some people say, yeah, if you, if you discount OB and you discount, um, who else could you discount from? The- I, would, I would say um, 
to me personally, I would discount Ovi, and I would also not include um, Jody Domingue because he all he does is hide out and wait mm-hmm. for his chance mm-hmm. to. I guess he does do a lot of damage to Warren, mm-hmm. but um, he shows up for. He's only in a little bit. He's in the flashback scene. And yeah. He's only in a little bit. He's not really part um, of the action. I guess you could also make the argument that uh, the old general is, could be excluded. That's what a lot of people... I was reading while we were watching the film. A lot of people say that they don't include OB or the general. Yeah. Because they're, they're neutral. Yeah, because they're impartial to any of the goals. They just want what's best for like themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't They don't have like a desire to... Maybe it's the desire to get to Red Rock. Is the Oh, cool. Them. That, maybe that's a good way to put it because they all want to get there mm-hmm. because the um, two bounty hunters want to get there to collect their bounty. Yeah. Maddox wants to get there to become the sheriff and the gang wants to get there to meet up with the gang that may or may not exist. Yeah. So then you could discount OB and the sheriff mm-hmm. if that's the goal. Yep. Well, I read a couple other intro. Another interesting theory, and I liked this one, though it doesn't seem to be. See that idea is make because like that's where they're all trying to get, so that f- makes you focus more centrally on the action of the characters. Mm-hmm. Another theory was, is you have in like at the haberdashery in general, you have eight criminals. Yeah, you have the three guys in disguise, Jody in the basement, Daisy, and then the three dead dudes on top of the coach. Oh, is that cool? Yeah. So it's, so the hateful ones are actually criminals. Whereas everybody else, may, maybe they did stuff during the war, but they're not current day criminals. That's, after the I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. Cool. I, so I stole, which is cool, but that's not, a, I don't know. That's not very central to the story. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if it's purposefully, like, ambiguous. Because, you know, it's like eight is all throughout the movie. It's the eighth film by Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And someone mentioned. It's funny on, because this is episode eight of the podcast. Excellent. I didn't even piece that together. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Which is funny as well because eight is a number that Tarantino loves to use in his movies, especially movies that reference Japan. 88 is a very lucky number. Yep. That's why in uh, Kill Bill, it's, um, what's that gang that Oren Ishii fights I, with? I but her gang, she's 88 men. Oh, cool. And their eight is in that movie too. I didn't know Dude. it was a lucky number in Japan. Is it just Japan or is it in Asian in Japan well I I say that as someone who is an expert my friend who lived in Japan speaks Japanese that's really cool there's a whole record label called 88 Rising that prominently features just Asian creators okay yeah so it's it's like you know like to us seven is such a lucky number yeah you know like if you made a record company seven lucky strikes you'd be like oh okay like seven's you know lucky number in craps or something it just kind of it's so ubiquitous yeah um but yeah, I, I like that. I like the interpretation of there actually are. But in a way, because, I don't know. I wonder if it's purposely there aren't, if it is, like you can't come up with one exact, um, you can't come up with just one definition of who the Hateful Eight are on purpose. Because I wonder if the Hateful Eight is actually just a reference to his entire body of work. Maybe it is. You know, it's like the Hateful Eight, it's actually... He said, all the title is saying is, this is my eighth hateful movie. That all of them are violent and about, like, American exceptionalism and um, vigilante justice. So maybe, like, the title doesn't actually have to do with the characters. Maybe it's purposely ambiguous. That any way you turn it, you you always have leftover characters because it's not about the characters. But it's probably a mix of those things. 
Yeah, it's really cool. There's just like multiple. It's like probably an unlimited amount of ways you can put it. I know. Now I want to get online and read a bunch there's of other like, theories. There's because... like eight coffee cups. <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be so many different. It takes things. eight drinks of coffee. When we see eight cigarettes being smoked <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I I didn't even think about the whole dead bodies or the whole yeah. Yeah, I can't just take credit for that stolen. You know, one question I have is I love religious imagery in films. There's one moment of religious Im- imagery in this movie, and I have no idea what it's connected is it, to. Is it the cross as they're coming yeah. up the mountain? Because it focuses on it so prominently at the beginning of the film and returns to it in the flashback. Well, I have one possible answer. It's mm-hmm. kind of weak, but I, it's the only thing I can think of. Um, towards the end of the movie, when everyone's dying, uh-huh. they're all saying, like, when you get to hell. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a reference saying, like, um, these people aren't saved or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because hmm. um, it's, it's said it two or three times at the end. It says it when um, when Warren tries to shoot Daisy yeah. Margu. It says it when um, John Ruth dies. And he says it when, um, I think, when they hang Daisy Margu as well. Yeah, you're right. They do. Um, and I, that's the, as I said, it's kind of weak, but I think that might be what they're trying to, what he's trying to go for is, hmm. um, there is this, for anyone who believes in the Christian theology, there is this promise of eternal life in heaven, but these people have not, they don't, they haven't earned that. Yeah. And, and none, none of them obviously trust in that. They all live like a very violent, yeah, like live like they're in, you know, just out for money and control and survival. Yep. Yeah, but it's just, it's like, you know, I don't know. To me, it's because, you know, there's so much Christian imagery possible. Like, Jesus on a cross is like, you know, even like, you know, you have, you have like actual theological things you can talk about with that. But then, you know, Jesus on a cross is just a cultural icon, too. Yeah. Even people who aren't Christian, it means something to them. Mm-hmm. It's so ubiquitous. It, it isn't, it, it's a cultural symbol and an, a religious one. So it's such, a, it's such an overwhelming symbol. I'd forgotten about it because it's at the beginning of the movie. And I was looking at, looking at it going at the beginning of the movie, like, what does this connect to? I mean, you're right. Their mortality and they talk about going to hell. But, like... I even was sitting here thinking, like, some, some of the verbiage people talk about Jesus hanging on a cross, and this is all about characters go like, they're all going to a hanging, technically. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's really a stretch. I, I don't know. I kind of want to, like, maybe it's like, maybe it, it might be super obvious. Like, it's a reference to some Italian movie about gangsters that opened with a cross. Maybe it's like yeah. a, a cinematic reference. Yeah, I'm not sure. understanding. But I couldn't put that together this time watching the film. I'm interested to read up on that. I don't think it would be just as simple as referencing an old. I hope not. It's. I know it's so important. It's so. It's basically the opening image of the film. Yeah. There's a couple shots of mountains. Yeah. But then it is so prom. It's like literally zoomed out from for mm-hmm. like over a minute. Yeah, that shows Warren dragging his um, dead bodies behind him. Mm-hmm. So that might have something to do with it as well. Yeah. It's, it's shown during... All right, so let's think about this. It's shown two times. Uh-huh. One, when Marcus... Or not Marcus. Mar- Marquess Warren um, is dragging the bodies behind him in the very beginning. And again, when the gang is heading to the haberdashery in, mm-hmm. in yes. Chapter, yes. chapter 5. So we, yeah, so we know that on, on your way to the haberdashery, you pass that. 
maybe it's a, maybe it's just a symbol that you're on your way to like death or something. Yeah, maybe that's it. You're on your way to death. Yeah, it's it's just foreshadowing your outcome. Mm-hmm. That's another potential answer. I'd say. Yeah, totally. I, I just I don't know. I'm it, it is. There's just so much. It's such a heavy symbol. You know, it's like. There's a lot of simpler death symbols out there, mm-hmm. or hell sim- sim- symbolism out there. I'm I'm just I'm intrigued because I can't think of much re- um, Western religious Christian imagery in his movies. Yeah, no, yeah. like almost at all. There are I mean, really there's Pulp Fiction where he references the Bible a lot. Yeah, I'm talking, but I'm talking the visual imagery of his films. Okay, yeah, that's in the dialogue absolutely, which is amazing. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm it just kind of. I I feel it's going over my head. Maybe it's maybe I'm overthinking it, but I, I was just intrigued by that watching it this time. I have to say this is completely off topic, but I want to bring, I want to bring it up. It doesn't really have anything to do with the hateful eight. Um, isn't it weird to you that in like a bunch of horror movies and just in general, like the upside down cross is the symbol of like Satan and and just demons? Because the upside yeah. down cross was used as a statement by Paul to signify that it wasn't worthy. Of yeah, the yeah. crown. It. I don't and know how that developed, but that that's like a. Because um, I was just watching the Conjuring. Yeah. Watching. Watching <laughs> the Conjuring. I was watching the Conjuring <laughs> two the other night, and there's a whole yeah. scene where there's like a bunch of crosses on the walls, and they all flip over, and then the demon comes out. Yeah. And I was, and I thought about, it, I'm like, why? How did that happen? Like, why? Because it, it was for, I think, for centuries, a Christian symbol. Yeah. So how? And also, it's well, I mean, you can say the same thing about the pentagram. The pentagram was um, also used as a Christian symbol sometimes. How how certain ones have become seen as uh, which symbols of witchcraft or like Satanism? I don't know. It's yeah. I, it, it's it's you know it's it's just random how people yeah. grab onto those things. Clearly, yeah, it was clearly off topic. I just wanted. I just wanted. Was to that a good movie? For a second. Was Conjuring two? Yeah. No. I yeah. mean, the Conjuring one is all right, but I mean, I've. Never really been unless a horror movie is really well done. Not uh, really a fan. Yeah. Um, but back to the back to the hateful eight. Um, I wanted to ask if there's anything that you didn't like, like anything that stuck out to you that was negative. Anything that stuck out to me is negative. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, but I, I would say is a major positive is I think this movie has uh, several key performances by the actors that are really good. So you're just gonna the a- actors? Gonna, no, no, I'm, 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 no, I'm going through the list of things to see if I like. So the acting was great, writing's great. Um, see, uh, that's the the things that come to mind that are surprising to me. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure yet if I've decided that there are problems because the whole final act of this movie isn't that action packed. Mm-hmm. So you kind of would think in a film that asks you to wait and be so patient, there's going to be like an explosion of action at the end. It doesn't have to be tons of explosions, literally, and guns shooting. I think of a movie I've already compared this to is The Shining. The Shining is inc- is longer than this movie and incredibly slow. It's longer? Yeah, The Shining is freaking long. Really? This yeah. movie is two hours 47. Yeah. The Shining is like almost three hours long. Wow. It is really long. Um... But then you get to the final act of it, and there's like, you know, 
here's Johnny's scene, and they're chasing each other through the maze, and there's finally like a release of all the tension. Mm-hmm. This movie doesn't give you that satisfaction. So I I'm maybe would say I wish there was more like release of all that energy, all that potential energy. The movie is like boiling up to. Yeah. Um, I don't. There isn't much of that. So there's maybe he wants you to not feel satisfied, but I, 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 I it would have been cool if there had been a more dynamic film. Yeah. Which one reason? It's funny that the height of the action, in a way, gets cut short by a flashback. As soon as Jody shoots Mark Keys in the balls through, like as soon as he shoots him, like thirty seconds later, you go to a flashback, and that totally cuts the pace of that action. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, maybe that that's part of the his goal, but yeah, I know that has got to be a contributing factor to the fact this movie leaves you feeling so desolate and yeah. just miserable. There are two things that I didn't like, and they're both technical aspects. Really? One was, there's some... So everyone like just gives me a hard time when I bring this stuff up, but it just bothers me for some reason. Mm-hmm. There's shot continuity errors. Really? And <laughs> um, what? Like so, when there's cuts, people are in like different spots or they're in a different pose. Oh, or okay, yeah, yeah. And that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too prevalent in this one, but we just watched The Godfather the other night, and uh-huh. it's very prevalent in that movie. And I brought that up with my friends, uh, Gabe and Colin, who I was recording with, and yeah. they were like, why do you care about that? I was, just, <laughs> I was just like, well, it's just me, sorry. But um, that's one thing, and that's not too big of a deal. The other, one of the other things I didn't like was um, when uh, the climax at the end was happening and everyone started getting shot, I really didn't like the whole like distorted voice thing that he used, where oh, his yes. voices were slowed down. Uh-huh. Um, I get what he was going for with the whole... like man, what's going on sort of aspect, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I just don't think it worked that well. Well, and you know what, maybe one reason, I is my reaction to Samuel Jackson's character's voice being slowed down is Samuel Jackson can be such a funny actor, yeah. so when you do that to him, I, I couldn't help the first time but laugh at some of the stuff he said. Well, yeah, You're going to make a deal? It's funny. It's, it's, it's laughable. It is funny, but... That's just not really the point of exactly. Those scenes. Yeah, those scenes aren't supposed to be that way. There are lots of times where comedic dialogue is what the point of the scene is, or part what the point of the line is. But that just wasn't one of them. Like that was the, like the, she just told everyone exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that whole weird trying to be funny sort of slow down effect thing and I, I just personally don't think it worked very well I, I would have much mm-hmm. rather I would have much rather um, when Warren got shot for him to fall on the ground and scream for a couple seconds and then cut to chapter five or six or whatever it yeah. was um, I didn't really it just didn't work for me yeah I, I didn't uh, I thought that in passing but it didn't come to mind when you asked me I agree that didn't work very well yeah. either I will say that one of the coolest things about this movie is, oh, name, what's his name? Ennio? Ennio Morricone. Yeah, dude, the score is so good. It's really good. Uh, and the um, selected uh, tracks that he has, the uh, the music, I think 
Tarantino does a great job of getting away with having such on-the-nose musical choices. Whatever is being sung in this movie, the lyrics very obviously and literally relate to the action. Yeah. And somehow, it, like, he uses that for excellent comedic effect. Of you're like so tense, and then the music is just weirdly singing about whatever's happening. I, I thought that was really great. But I don't know, man. What did I... Other than the whole, like, how bad you feel at the end, and how the pacing of the movie contributes to that. But I can't... I don't like the way it feels, but I wonder if the impact of the movie wouldn't be as successful without it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... So I, I'm just saying I think this movie is perfect and you need to stop criticizing it, basically. So, <laughs> yeah. stop. No, it's not perfect. It's it's a good movie, though. It is very good. How would you rank it among Tarantino's films? Among Tar- All right, so this is really this is a good place to sort of wrap up since we're at time. But um, um, we always do a rating at the end. Mm-hmm. So let's do a ranking among Tarantino movies and then a ranking overall. Okay. I would rank it. I haven't seen all of his movies. So I don't know how accurate mine is, but I've seen I've seen the majority of them. I'd say um, so. Kill Bill is my favorite. Mm. I would say it's pretty close to that. Hmm. It's one of my more preferred films. I really think it's just one of his most well done and sort of solid, tight movies. Yes. Um. So close to it's in the running. I w- I would probably say funny the exact same thing. I, I, I easily the only movie to me that I would say is his best is Kill Bill. I love. To me, it's one. It's one film. It's volumes one and two, and it is so far. And apparently, volume three will come out one day. Um, it's his best work. Uh, I see. I would say this movie. I it would. It, it's in the running to be on the metal podium, like number two or three, like. A couple others are just, I would say, like Death Proof um, and Pulp Fiction are also up there. This this one, I got to think about a little bit more. It might be my third favorite after Pulp Fiction, and then I'd say this one, to be honest. This this one is staying with me really strongly so far. So I might say it's my third favorite of this. Okay. What would you give it uh, just in general, like 1 to 10? Oh, 1 to 10? I'm going to say it's a nine. Nine? It's a nine, yeah. I'd probably say about the same, just because I don't want to give it an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I probably would give it an eight. Yeah, Um, give it an extra number just not to satisfy the whole eight theme that's going on. It's definitely not a ten, because to me a ten is, I can't find anything wrong with it. Yes. There's barely any movies that I give a ten. Totally. Um, But solid eight or nine. I think the why I can consider it like one step below perfect, the one thing I haven't said is I, I feel like you got to give props to a major studio Hollywood film that takes such, like we, we were talking about Mother in our, the introduction, that takes such huge chances. Yeah. This movie is not widely accessible, but it's very successful in telling in a very unique story and it's very masterful. Yeah. So I think this gets totally bonus points for me for just being... You know, a very established director still taking chances and trying new things. For sure. So I can accept some imperfection and give it a pretty high score for that reason. So Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're getting pretty close to time. So uh, is there anything else? Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Um, 
I will say that now that I've seen it twice, I could wait a long while to see it again. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's it's last time it's I sat, last one. time I sat down and watched this was probably whenever it came out. Same. So um, it's one of those movies where you can like sit with it for a long time, but then once you watch it again, it's a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, but I, I don't know. It, I, I do not want to immediately see it a third time. Oh, yeah, no, definitely not. Well, that's just the way that I watch movies. I. And paying close attention the entire yeah. time. If something is really like, if there's an aspect where um, I can just keep watching it over and over, like mm-hmm. I when um, whenever like a new Spider-Man movie comes out, yeah. I can watch that literally every day. Really? <laughs> because, probably just because Spider-Man's probably my favorite thing just ever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when Spider-Man Two, you mean, right? Yes. Your favorite movie of all time. Yes. Right. Actually, I need to talk to you about that. Okay. Um, but. Basically, whenever Spider-Man comes out, I can watch that all the time just because I love seeing him flip around and do yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, a movie like this where it's like you have to like like pay attention and think about it and understand yeah. what's going on, that's one that I can, I'm can i comfortable just letting sit and stew for a while. But the final thing I'll say is for anyone who hasn't given this movie a first viewing or if you saw it once and don't know what you think about it and you're a Tarantino fan, this movie is worth a second viewing. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Yes, definitely. Oh, Eric's home. Well, we definitely have to wrap it up now. Yeah. Um, Rex, thank you for talking about yeah, this. Yeah, dude, video. thank you. This was great. We'll have to do this again. Yes. Um, you're a very enjoyable guest. You thank you. Sometimes it's hard to keep discussion going, but... No, dude, I always got shit to say. Yeah. Never have to worry about that with me. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. This is No Degree, episode 8. I can't believe we've made it eight episodes. Yeah. I thought, would be, I, thought I would give up on this after like two. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Um, Rex is a great guy. I'm really glad he was here. Do you have anything to say about anything that you might be doing or anything like that? Anything I'm working on? Um, no, I'm just trying to get my agent to get me back on this podcast really soon. Listen, <laughs> listen to no degree. That's what I say. Cool. Awesome, man. Uh, thank you again for being on. Um, we're going to sign off. Everyone have a good night. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you.